welcome to Let's Talk Family Law, a podcast focusing on all aspects of family law. Now to our attorneys to tell you about today's featured episode. Thank you. Uh, We're here for our second installment of Let's Talk Family Law. My name is Skip Persick. I'm an attorney in the Norristown office of the Philadelphia law firm Weber Gallagher. Uh, In our Norristown office, we specialize in the area of family law, and I'm a partner in the family law department. And with me today is uh, senior associate Donna Marcus. Uh, Donna also practices in the area of family law, and she is also uh, assigned to our uh, Norristown office as well. Uh, hello, Donna. Hi, Skip. Uh, we're going to talk about something today that's not particularly a happy and pleasant subject. We're recording this in October, and October is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So we're going to talk about domestic violence today. As I said, an unfortunate topic, but something that we should all be aware of and aware of ways to not only prevent it, but also what to do when you're faced with that particular situation. Donna, do you have some statistics relative to uh, how prevalent a problem domestic violence is? I do. Um, So every nine seconds, a woman in the United States is beaten or or assaulted by a current or ex-significant other. More than one in three women and more than one in four men in the United States have experienced rape or physical violence by an intimate partner. Um, Also, in October of 1987, the first Domestic Violence Awareness Month was observed. Okay, and uh, Donna, uh, my understanding is that domestic violence cuts across all demographic lines, young, old, uh, straight, gay, uh, married, not married, rich, poor. Is is that true? That's right. Um, It it cuts across all socioeconomic areas, um, all people are, can be victims. Okay. And also, I remember hearing one time that the worst day of the year for domestic violence is the Super Bowl. Is that an urban myth or is there truth to that? It's basically an urban myth. Um, it stemmed from uh, an ad that was taken out in 1993 and it kind of went from there. But statistics actually show that there is an uptick around winter break, holidays such as that. Okay, so that would be kind of stressful times of the year, correct? That's right. Stressful for everybody. Right. Okay. And um, domestic violence kind of falls under a larger umbrella of domestic abuse, and abuse can take forms other than uh, 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 physical abuse, correct? Yeah, there can be many different kinds of abuse. I think physical abuse is what everyone's most used to hearing about. But there can be abuse such as sexual abuse. There can be um, technological abuse where you're kind of monitoring what the other person's doing, stalking them. Um, Also, financial abuse, which is basically where you're controlling the other person's finances, maybe giving them an allowance, making them feel trapped. Um, They really don't see a way out. Okay. How about psychological abuse? Does that fall under that as well? Yep. Psychological abuse also um, is definitely uh, something that we see. And a lot of times um, it's not one type of abuse that you see. They often overlap. Okay. Well, we're going to focus today on uh, uh, domestic violence and physical abuse first, and uh, we'll touch on those other areas uh, later on in our podcast. Uh, Is, and, and, to our listeners, 
We are in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania recording this, and what we're going to talk about today is the law as it relates to the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Uh, if you're listening outside the Philadelphia area, the uh, general tenets that we are discussing today should be applicable to you uh, as well as people in the Philadelphia and the Philadelphia area. Um, if you are involved in a domestic violence situation, uh, Google domestic violence and look for your local court system, and there should be uh, areas of help on, on that particular website. We're going to get into some specifics right now, uh, but as I said, is that uh, uh, what we are talking about today is, is specific uh, to the, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Donna, is there a crime called domestic violence? There's actually not a crime called domestic violence in Pennsylvania. Um, there's the, in the crimes code, there's assault, simple assault, aggravated assault, but there's no actual domestic violence statute. Okay, so that if, if someone was the, the victim of uh, domestic violence, I guess the first thing that they should do is, is, is call 911, correct? Right, uh, of course. If they're in real danger, they have to call 911 immediately. Okay, and then a police officer will come. And if there's criminal uh, criminal involvement, then uh, uh, what you're saying is that, that there's not a specific charge called domestic violence, but there are um, uh, uh, various crimes code sections such as aggravated assault, simple assault, harassment. Uh, I think a new crime was added a few months ago, strangulation. There's all of those uh, criminal violations would fall under the general definition of domestic violence. Um, what, well, as I said, the first thing that we would suggest is that you call uh, 911 if you're faced with that type of situation. Is there any type of a civil remedy out there to try to uh, uh, help and aid people that are in these types of situations? Well, um, they could get a go for a protection from abuse order, and there's a private criminal complaints. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, protection from abuse. Now, is there uh, a statute in Pennsylvania that's specific to uh, protection from abuse? There is. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that in a general sense. Well, Pennsylvania has a, a protection from abuse statute. It defines what abuse is, who can file for um, a protection order, uh, the length of time of the protection order, as well as um, remedies that are available if you um, obtain a protection order. Okay. Let's start off with the who. Who, who can file for a, uh, uh, a protection from abuse order? So it has to be somebody that you have a, a relationship with. Okay. Such as, uh, uh, I imagine that uh, if you're married, it would involve a spouse, correct? Right. But it also is more general than that. It could involve any family member, correct? That's right. And it can also involve uh, intimate partners, so boyfriend and girlfriend, right? Right. Okay. And it also not only present, but also past uh, intimate partners, correct? So it could be a former boyfriend. Correct. Okay. Uh, I have used uh, the Protection from Abuse Act in some... Uh, I'll call it creative ways that uh, you could have a situation where you have a uh, an adult 
child that is physically violent towards a parent, and the parent has every right to uh, seek a, a protection order against the child. Uh, additionally, one time I had a situation where uh, I had uh, a family that had a, adopted a child, and the child was about 15 years old at the time. The birth mother tracked the child down and was uh, attempting to have contact and essentially lure the child out of the adoptive home and back to the mother. And the adoptive parents wanted to try to figure out how to put a stop to that. So uh, we did get that child and that family relief under the Protection from Abuse Act. So uh, as I said, is that the family member and the domestic partner definition is uh, uh, somewhat liberal and somewhat loose. It doesn't have to be just husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend. It can be, as I said, intergenerational. And uh, uh, sometimes those situations uh, need to be uh, addressed and need to be uh, uh, handled. Now, you also mentioned that abuse has a specific definition, correct? Right. What's the definition of abuse that someone can get protection under the Protection from Abuse Act? Well, it's attempting to cause or causing bodily harm or uh, putting someone in a position where they believe that they're in um, imminent harm. Okay. And um, uh, uh, how about like psychological abuse? If somebody is kind of consistently berating their, uh, their, their, their partner, do they have the right to, uh, to, to seek protection under the order? No, psychological abuse isn't covered under the protection statute alone. Yeah, I've always found that that's a tough one, that a lot of people come in and say, you know, either he or she is following me around the, uh, around the apartment and, uh, you know, giving me an earful and yelling at me and just will wake me up in the middle of the night and yell at me. And uh, uh, unfortunately, the way the statute is written, that type of conduct is not particularly covered. Um, although it's called protection from abuse, I've always found that it's kind of a response to abuse, and there's got to be abuse before you can really get protection. That's an unfortunate situation, but that's kind of the way it works. Right. I think most of the time that's true, although if they're in fear of imminent danger, it could be a threat is made or something like that, um, where they feel like they're in abuse because they've been threatened, not just being berated. Right. Well, one time I, 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 had, a, I had a husband, actually, and uh, his wife threw a shoe at him and hit him in the eye, and he had a had a significant black eye, and, and he got a protection from abuse order and, um, uh, in, in that situation. And I've also had a situation where a wife was standing at the top of the steps, and the husband was at the bottom of the steps in the basement, and he had a loaded gun, and he shot it into the steps. And, you know, that's certainly, like you said, imminent fear of bodily injury, and, uh, you know, she got a, a protection from abuse order from that. Uh, okay, so we talked a little bit about who, and we talked a little bit about what. What types of relief can you get under the Protection from Abuse Act? Um, you can have the um, abuser removed from the house. You can have financial relief, um, such as having them uh, have to continue the support of the home. Um, you can also have cust uh, interim custody awarded. Okay, so let's take those one at a time, which is that, uh, say that we, the, the situation I was talking about is that we have uh, two partners that are in an apartment together, and uh, one is, uh, uh, you know, physically dominant and, and 
physically abusing the uh, the other partner, and that the one who is being abused seeks relief under the Protection from Abuse Act, they can get the other person kicked out of the apartment, correct? That's right. And then they can get what's called exclusive possession of the residence of the apartment uh, until the order uh, expires, correct? Correct. Now, I had a situation once where the abuser had the apartment uh, leased in his name, and he didn't think that he should leave because it was his apartment. Uh, and the, as I said, the girlfriend in that situation uh, did get a protection from abuse order and got him excluded, even though the lease was still in his name. Same thing if he owned the house is that he would be excluded from the particular residence. Um, okay, you mentioned other things that can, uh, uh, potential forms of relief. You mentioned um, child custody, correct? Correct. Uh, expound on that a little bit for us. Well, uh, if there's a child who's being abused, a parent can actually get a support order on behalf of that child. And as part of the order, they can request that um, a temporary uh, child custody order put in place protecting the child. Um, if that is granted, you know, we would still, uh, it's still recommended that they file for a modification of custody, um, but it can be handled with the protection order. Okay, let's, let's take that in, in apart and take like two different parts of that, which is one is that let's say that the abuser is such a raving lunatic that He's not only a threat to the parent of the child, but uh, he's also a threat to the child. Can you include the child on the protection order? You can. Okay. And you also said that you can get through a protection from abuse order uh, a temporary uh, a temporary custody order, correct? Correct. Okay. And your recommendation is that you go to your local courthouse and try to uh, file for custody after that, but you would have uh, an interim custody order, right? That's right. Okay. And you also said a couple of minutes ago that another form of relief is that uh, you can um, you can get temporary child support, correct? Right. Okay. And uh, uh, what is your recommendation as to a follow-up if you got that in a temporary order? Well, it would still be recommended that you follow up and file for support. Okay. And uh, uh, anything else in terms of types of relief that you can get under the Protection from Abuse Act? Um, there could be relinquishment of firearms. Okay. Right. That, that, yeah, if we're talking an abuse situation, uh, that's something that I would be looking for. Okay. Did, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, if, if it's known that there are firearms in the home or that uh, the abuser has access to firearms and can be requested uh, that he have, uh, have to relinquish them. Okay. So that as part of the order, there can be an order in there that uh, that the defendant in the protection from abuse case would have to relinquish any firearms that he or she may have to the county sheriff, correct? That's right. Okay, and they have to be relinquished in a fairly short period of time, 24 hours, right? right. That's right. Okay, and um, they would have to stay out of that person's control until the order runs its course, right? Right. Okay. So, and as I said, that's that's something that would concern me if I was in that type of a situation. Let's talk a little bit about like nuts and bolts. 
um, about how you do this and uh, how um, how uh, uh, how you would go about attaining a protection from abuse order. Um, let's say that you have. Well, let's take a little situation here, and uh, uh, we have um, uh, we have, as I said, boyfriend and girlfriend are in an apartment, and uh, boyfriend has been physically abusive to girlfriend. Uh, and girlfriend calls 911 and the police officers come and uh, police officers say, um, you know, I think, girlfriend, it would be a good idea for you to uh, get a protection from abuse order. What, what, what does she do next? Well, I, I, each jurisdiction is slightly different, although they uh, pretty much follow the same process. Um, so the first thing would depend on what time this happened. Um, if it's during regular hours, you go to the courthouse and uh, you would file for a protection order. Um, you can either go with an attorney, you can go alone. They have uh, someone who would be able to assist you, domestic violence advocate, and they you, you could then uh, file for a temporary order. If it's after hours, depending on where you are, you'd have to go to um, an, another location. So I know in Philadelphia, it's in um, the Criminal Justice Center, and that's anytime after 5 o'clock, and on the weekends, there's someplace 24 hours a day for you to go. Okay. Now, uh, in reading through the statute, I noticed that it is a state law that all police departments in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania have to educate their police officers about the Protection from Abuse Act. And in my experience, uh, the police officers that I've come into contact with have uh, little cards. They look like business cards that are double the size with a little fold down the middle of it that uh, explain the Protection from Abuse Act and what you can do. And they usually keep those in their front shirt pockets. And whenever they're in, called to a domestic violence situation, they pull out those cards and they hand them to the person who is the, uh, the, the, the victim and they say, uh, you know, hey, you should pursue this. And you talked about uh, uh, if it's after hours, and I'm imagining that most of these incidents do occur after hours, and um, the way the statute is written is that there is 24-7 access to some member of the judiciary to handle these types of orders, at least on a temporary basis. That in the, uh, the, the, the counties outside of Philadelphia, there's a system of minor judiciary called magisterial just district justices. Um, those, a lot of people still refer to them as justices of the peace, but their official name is magisterial district justice. And um, the county that I'm most familiar with, Chester County, has uh, uh, two on-call MDJs 24-7, uh, and uh, they can issue a temporary protection from abuse order. And what would happen would be that the, uh, the plaintiff, the person who's the victim of the uh, domestic violence, would go to see that, that district, magisterial district judge uh, at that point in time and fill out some forms, and the judge would uh, listen to them and decide whether their situation merits a temporary order and then sign the order. Now, that order is good until court opens either the next morning or the following Monday morning, and then you would have to get a uh, an order from the Court of Common Pleas, the trial-level court that exists across the state. Um, 
Also, it says in the statute that each judicial district, which is basically each county in Pennsylvania, uh, each uh, each judicial district has to provide uh, secretarial help uh, in helping people obtain uh, temporary orders. So uh, again, Chester County, there are uh, two or three people who are uh, trained to help people go through the forms and go through the process whereby they would uh, sign the forms and take them to uh, a on-call judge in the courthouse and uh, sit down with the judge. And uh, I've seen this happen, which is that uh, if the judge is involved in some other court proceeding and the judge is the on-call judge for that particular week or day, the judge would sit down with the person and a domestic violence worker and uh, go through the situation and uh, ask a couple of questions and then decide whether or not the situation merits a temporary order. Um, so uh, is there any cost for protection from abuse petitions? Um, well, there, there are potential costs, but it's not for the uh, plaintiff, the person who's filing, to pay. Okay, so there would be no financial disincentive to keep somebody from seeking a protection from abuse order. Right. Okay. And how about, is there anyone out there who can help people with these sorts of situations? There are. Um, each jurisdiction has a domestic advocate, domestic abuse advocate um, who can assist with going to court, helping uh, fill out the initial protection order, and providing um, emotional support through the process as well. Okay, and that's what I talked about, about the domestic violence counselors. Now, uh, again, I think these domestic violence counselors, well, I know, I know these domestic violence counselors can go to court with anyone who is a, uh, a plaintiff in a domestic uh, abuse or a protection from abuse situation, and they can, you know, they can be there as emotional support to somebody who might feel intimidated by the court system or intimidated by that partner, former partner, that uh, put them in this situation to start with. Um, do you, I take, do you need a lawyer to file for this? You don't need a lawyer. You can do it on your own. Um, so it's in those instances, if you're doing it alone, that you may want to um, request the assistance of an advocate. Okay. Uh, and uh, again, I think that uh, in Chester County, there are there's something called the Domestic Violence Center, and there are a couple of attorneys that work for the Domestic Violence Center that are there to uh, help people in these situations and, uh, if necessary, present these petitions uh, in, in, in court. Um, but the situation is set up so that you do not need uh, a lawyer, correct? Correct. Okay. Now, what if you're, uh, you've been contemplating divorce, you've been contemplating uh, separating from your spouse, and um, you do have a lawyer. Can you get your lawyer involved? Of course you can. Okay. And um, have you ever been involved in situations like that? I have. I've been involved um, with uh, getting a protection order for my client against their former spouse, as well as um, to protect the children involved. Okay. And what is it that you did in that situation? Well, I went with my client uh, to the courthouse, and we filed for the protection order. Um, and the, once you do file for a protection order, the hearing has to be within 10 days. Um, so I 
represented them uh, at the hearing as well. Okay, so let, let's see if we have the process correct. So we talked about the situation that happens either after hours or on a weekend that you can go to the MDJ or you said in Philadelphia you can go to the Criminal Justice the Center. Criminal Justice Center. And where is that in Philadelphia? That's at 13th and Filbert Streets. Okay. And as I said, is the magisterial district justices are all over the, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and you can get that temporary order. That temporary order uh, would exclude the perpetrator of the violence uh, from your residence. And uh, the only thing is that it expires uh, when the court opens next, either on Monday or the next morning. And then in that situation, you can go to uh, the people at your county courthouse that are responsible for domestic violence and work with them to prepare a, uh, a petition in the common pleas court that would get you a, a, a temporary order. And you just mentioned that a temporary order can last for how long? 10 days. Okay. And um, uh, what happens in those 10 days? Well, I think that don't they have to, they have to find the guy and they have to serve the guy, don't they? Right. And how does that, how does that accomplished? Um, well, the sheriff would uh, have to serve them with the fact that the, they now have a protection from abuse order against them. Okay. And when the sheriff serves the guy, what happens? I'm assuming it's a guy. Um, well, they're basically notifying them that um, this order has been taken out against them, that they have a court date, and that they are prohibited from uh, coming in contact with uh, the plaintiff, threatening the plaintiff, um, as well as any other um, interim relief that has been granted. Okay, and I've also seen situations where the police officer will escort the person who has been just been served with the protection from abuse order back to the residence and give him like 10 or 15 minutes to gather his clothes and then he's out of there. Yeah, that can happen too. Okay. And then, uh, uh, okay. And, and some of these situations uh, I've, I've been involved with, there's like a, a cooling off period where people kind of have a hearing scheduled 10 days down the road, but they decide, hey, maybe we can work out our differences. Maybe we can uh, do something that's beneficial to our entire family, such as counseling or whatever, uh, and they reschedule that hearing for, you know, maybe two, three months down the road. Are you familiar with situations like that? Yeah, I've had a situation where we continued it, um, not necessarily for that reason. Um, I had a situation where we had to continue it because there was uh, child abuse and there was still a pending uh, investigation going on. Okay. And uh, I've been involved in situations where uh, the, 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 the person who perpetuated or, or the, the, uh, who perpetuated the, uh, the domestic violence uh, had mental health issues. And uh, the other spouse was like, look, he or she is not particularly a bad person, but they were in a bad situation right then and there. And what they need is counseling either... Uh, psychological counseling or drug and alcohol counseling or whatever, and um, I don't want uh, my spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, to be labeled as an abuser, and uh, maybe if we could get that person into a situation where he uh, he is 
doing counseling and is making progress that we could just keep the order in effect for a couple of months as opposed to a couple of years and that that made everybody happy. So those dates uh, are, are, are movable. Now, we talked about a hearing. Right. We mentioned the fact that uh, that you can get a temporary order and then uh, you said 10 days after a temporary order, you have to have a hearing scheduled. Correct. That's right. What happens at that hearing? So at that hearing, um, you have to prove uh, more likely than not that the alleged abuse happened. OK. And, uh, and I also okay. want to go, go back ahead. and just. Yeah. Um, just say that when you're filing for the protection order, you have to write with detail what it, what the abuse is, the reason that you're there filing for the protection order. Okay, and that's why the court system provides you with secretarial help, because they'll help you uh, fill out those forms, write the narrative, and then make the appropriate copies and get the thing filed right. in the appropriate office in the court system. And uh, uh, I guess we haven't talked about this maybe enough, but uh, uh, I imagine that if you go on the website of your county court system, there is going to be a button for domestic violence and there's going to be either a phone number or a person or an office or somebody. So if you're listening around the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and you're in uh, uh, Lackawanna County or you're in Montour County, I think if you go on your county website, and you look for the Court of Common Pleas, and you look for domestic violence, there is going to be information on there on how to uh, initiate and follow through with a protection from abuse uh, petition. Okay. Now, Donna, we talked about a hearing. A hearing can be an, an intimidating environment for, uh, for both sides, correct? Right. And um, uh, I made mention of the fact that the county that I'm most familiar with, Chester, has attorneys who free of charge will represent people who are plaintiffs in protection from abuse cases. And uh, have you as a private attorney uh, brought these petitions and been in a situation where you're uh, presenting and proceeding with a protection from abuse petition? I have. Okay. And what was it that you did? Did you, did you call witnesses? Did you do cross-examination? What did what, you do? Yeah. Um, we we did uh we had to prepare um witnesses in terms of the um investigator of the child abuse case we also had to call um our client the plaintiff um to recount what happened why he was filing um in the case i had it was actually a father um, who was filing and um we also called uh, the other side called um the mother and there was cross-examination of her as well. Okay, and that was in front of a common pleas judge, correct? That's right. Okay, and was there uh, was there cross-examination of your client? There was. Okay, and uh, was there an attorney on the other side? There was a private attorney on the other side as well. Okay, so some of these situations can get a little tense, right? Um, definitely. Okay, and um, uh, and you said that the uh, the standard of of proof is one of just a little bit over half, correct? Right. Called preponderance of the evidence. Correct. Which is the normal civil standard. Right. Okay. So you're not talking about a criminal case that you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. You only have to prove that the abuse happened and that it happened uh, beyond, or excuse me, uh, by, by a preponderance, preponderance of the evidence. 
Okay, and let's say that after all of that, the judge uh, decides to make it a temporary, make the temporary order into a permanent order. How long can that order last? Um, the maximum amount of time it could last is three years. Okay, and what if the judge orders like one year and something happens during that one year? Is it possible to extend it? It is. Okay, and what are the grounds to extend that order uh, for up to that three years? Well, it would be that they violated that order. Okay, or that there was a continued fear of of the the individual that the order was entered against, correct? Correct. Okay, and uh, can the judge again do something relative to custody in, in a permanent order? Yes. Okay, and same thing with support? Yes. So just All like we talked about a couple of minutes ago. Right, all of those remedies still are, are applicable. Okay. Um, what if you're, uh, uh, you're a, a woman and you uh, file and receive a temporary order and the hearing is uh, scheduled for 10 days out and then you kind of have second thoughts? And as I said before, it's like, you know, he might not be such a bad guy, but he was having a bad day and uh, something happened and he did something he shouldn't have and you want to withdraw the petition. Is that a possibility? It is a possibility. And how do you go about doing that? Um, you'd have to contact the court and withdraw the petition. Okay. And can you show up the day that the hearing is scheduled and say, I don't want to go forward? You can. Okay. And, um, uh, are judges a little leery of people that try to do this? Um, they are. It happens, and they're aware of it. Okay. My experience has been that judges want to make sure that that individual that brought that petition is safe. And sometimes they're uh, afraid of the fact that the defendant may be manipulating the situation. So. The judges usually like to do some sort of a colloquy or talk to the plaintiff and make sure that they understand what they're doing, understand that they are um, uh, that they are uh, you know taking away that this protection that they had, and um, uh, they don't want the, uh, the 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 plaintiff to be in a situation of from the fairy tale the boy who cried wolf that uh, you know, you're calling the police and you're getting these orders and then you're withdrawing them. So uh, it is possible to withdraw one. Uh, no one's going to make any individual go through with a hearing when they don't want to, but uh, they want to make sure that uh, you are safe. Now, let's say that either a temporary order or a permanent order is in place and the, as I said before, the, the, the person that's the defendant has mental health issues and they just don't get it. They just kind of keep coming back and, and pursuing uh, this person and uh, uh, either showing up at the door or uh, showing up at work or following them to the grocery store or whatever, um, what, what, what would happen in that situation? So again, in those situations, um, first thing to do would be to call the police, make sure that you're safe. Um, in terms of the protection order, um, once the police are there, I mean, and they're found, they're found to have been violating it, um, you can file for an indirect criminal complaint. Okay, 
And uh, that's a criminal charge, correct? That's right. There's a, there's a crime called indirect criminal contempt. Correct. Actually, it's kind of quasi-criminal, correct? Right. And my understanding is that a police officer can arrest someone uh, on site if they're at a house where they're not supposed to be uh, because of protection from abuse order and they are taken away to prison and a bail is set and uh, they may be able to make bail or they may be in there. And obviously, if it's a temporary order, uh, that's going to impact the uh, the, uh, the 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 fact of whether or not there's a permanent order. Um, but uh, as I said, is that there's a crime and it's treated seriously, uh, and that's just violating the order in going near the person. Um, can you let's say for a minute that you have uh, an individual, a, a a woman that's in a relationship that. She just wants to get out of that apartment or get out of that house. Are there places where they can go? There are. Um, in every um, county, there, there are locations that can help someone trying to flee a domestic violence situation. Do you have an example for us? Right. So in um, Montgomery County, there's Laurel House. Okay. In Philadelphia, there's Women Against Abuse. And I think in Chester County, there's a place called Home of the Sparrow. There is. There's also the um, Domestic Violence Center of Chester County. Okay. And some of these uh, places, they're, they're undisclosed locations, correct? They are. For a reason, because they don't want these people that are have the orders against them coming to them. Right. Can you proceed in a, in a, in a, in a, in a protection from abuse case, uh, uh, not anonymously, but can you proceed without giving your address? You can. There's actually a provision of the um, protection from abuse statute that provides that you don't have to give your address to make sure that you're safe. Okay. And um, let's say I, I was, um, is the protection from abuse, act, let's kind of look at this from the other perspective. We've been kind of looking at it from the perspective of a, uh, uh, of a person who is the victim of abuse. Is it possible that the act can be abused, if you'll pardon the term, abused by the plaintiff, the person bringing the action? It is possible. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there are situations where if you're going through a divorce and you're trying to get custody of a child, or even if you're not married and you, you know, cohabitate and have a child and want to leave, and rather than going through the court and filing for custody, you try to get a protection from abuse order and get awarded custody that way. Well, I've represented guys in the past, and it, it has been guys that I've, I've had this discussion with, but they felt like they were being baited, that they were felt like they, uh, that their wife uh, had been educated as to what was involved with the domestic, uh, or excuse me, with the Protection from Abuse Act, and they realized that there were serious implications, such as, I know we didn't mention this a moment or two ago, but a person who has been found to have abused an individual in the protection from abuse context, that is relevant in terms of child custody and other uh, certain implications in the divorce code. So a finding of abuse is a very powerful thing, and uh, that can uh, set 
a, and again in my situation or my scenario, a wife set her up nicely in that husband is out of the house, she has custody of the children, she's getting child support, and um, as I said, is that there are protections through the system such as sitting down and talking to a lawyer, excuse me, talking to a judge, either a magisterial district judge or a common pleas judge, and also having a hearing before any of that can happen. So there are safeguards, but the act is subject to abuse, correct? It is. It is, although I would say that um, the vast number of people that use it are using it uh, correctly. Okay. Uh, let's kind of change the scenario a little bit, is that we talked about who can file for protection from abuse, and I said that it was uh, a family member or a, uh, uh, an intimate partner. Now, let's say that um, uh, you have a situation where you have a, uh, a young woman who is a swimmer on the high school swim team, and she's a very good swimmer, and the coach has the coach is a, is, a, is, a, is a man in his 40s, and he's taken kind of an interest in her swimming career, and he may have pushed that interest a little bit too far. And he's uh, uh, saying, you know, well, let's meet me. First, it starts off, well, I'll give you a ride home, and then let's go out to lunch, and, you know, things that are clearly inappropriate. Is there anything in the law that can address that type of situation? Um, yeah, in uh, 2015, uh, the Protection from Sexual Violence, Protection from Sexual Violence or Intimidation Act went, went into effect, and that fills the gaps that were left by the Protection from Abuse Act. Okay, so that would be uh, more for the situation that I just explained, whereas that there is no uh, family relationship, there is no intimate partner relationship, but you still have uh, inappropriate uh, contact or inappropriate interactions between two people that are, uh, that, that are, as I said, that should not be having a, a, a interaction with each other. And that's the PVSVI, which is Protection of Victims of Sexual Violence and Intimidation. So that's kind of the same type of relief as a protection from abuse order, correct? It is similar relief. And right. the, uh, the process is very much similar, if not identical, correct? Correct. Okay, but it, what it is is it opens up the uh, protection from abuse relief to uh, people in more different situations. Um, when we started, we talked a little bit about um, uh, other types of abuse, such as economic abuse and psychological abuse. Is there anything you can do for like the economic, or as I think you called another one, was uh, technological abuse? Um, right, so there are some interim relief remedies um, that are available. Um, one is if, if the spouse is putting you on an allowance, you have no access to the finances, um, you can file for an interim distribution. Um, that would be where you're given an amount of money prior to um, the divorce case proceeding. Okay, so that that type of relief, you have to have a divorce action pending, right? Correct. So you have to be married. It's not available necessarily to a boyfriend and girlfriend, but it would be available to uh, uh, two spouses in a marriage. That's right. Okay. And then uh, you also talked about technological or psychological abuse, correct? Correct. Okay, and one thing that uh, I always try to make people aware of is that there's a crime on the books called harassment. 
And if you kind of uh, are in a situation where you're subject to stalking, where somebody's either online stalking you, uh, stalking you through your phone, or physically stalking you, that is a crime, and you have every right to call your local police and um, uh, and proceed with uh, either an arrest or, as you mentioned before, a private criminal complaint. And in wrapping things up, uh, Don and I are happy to talk to anyone who listens to this podcast and uh, uh, about these types of situations. Donna, what is your phone number and your email address? My phone number is 610-278-1502. And my email is dmarcus, M-A-R-C-U-S, at wglaw.com. And my phone number is 610-278-1503. And my email address is S-P-E-R-S-I-C-K at WGLaw.com. We're both in the Norristown office of the Philadelphia law firm, Weber Gallagher, and we're happy to talk to you about unfortunate situations as we've been discussing today, such as domestic violence and uh, uh, and the uh, the inappropriate contact between, as I said, a teen and an adult, or anything that uh, falls in line relative to family law. Thank you for listening to this, the second episode of our podcast series. Thank you for tuning in and listening to Let's Talk Family Law. We hope you join us next month for another episode. If you would like to listen to this podcast again, share it with others, or tune into other episodes in the series, please visit our website at www.wglaw.com.